0: As we sang Amazing Grace, I couldn't help but think about how that song was written. Um, Some of you may know this. Uh, I preached on it before or used it. It's um, a man named John Newton wrote Amazing Grace. And uh, you may not know him. He was 1700s England, but uh, he was a slave trader. Uh, So he traded and shipped slaves back and forth across the Atlantic. So uh, if you sing Amazing Grace again or if you read the words, I mean, he literally knew what it meant to uh, shackle a man or a woman or a child up and to keep them in chains. And it's when Christ entered his heart, he realized that he was the one in chains. And the gospel, the good news, if we wake up to it, It's when we realize that we are the people that are in chains and in shackles as Josh prayed, trying to fix ourselves, trying to, all the self-help, all the just, we can do it on our own, God, and it keeps a shackle down. And we realize the message of the cross. And when we gaze at the cross and the mystery of the cross. And there is a mystery to it. There's a mystery because we think we get it and we don't. And you're like, what do you mean? I, I get it. I learned it in Sunday school. The mystery is that Jesus did and has done everything that we can never and will never do. And that's, there's a mystery to that. It's like gray. It's not black-white. It is, but it's like, how does that happen? Jesus did it. And we have to trust in him. And we're free. And we walk in faith, not by sight. That's, that's how he calls us to live. That's what John Newton did. That's what changed his life. And he wrote that song. Anyway, amen. I didn't plan on saying that, but Josh sang the song. Um, all right, Mark 9. That's where we're going to be. Uh, Russell read verse 14 through 29 the story uh, of an exorcism, of a healing. But then we're also going to... Uh, Look at verses 30 uh, through 32 and then also 33 through um, 37. I'm not going to read that, but we're going to allude to them. Uh, We're going through the Gospel of Mark, but we're not going verse by verse. We can't do that. Um, We only had you know, a couple weeks, I don't know, 9, 12 weeks since the beginning of the year to Easter. And we wanted to go through the Gospel and see aspects of the life of Jesus. This series, this sermon study is uh, is called, Who is Jesus? Now, look, we know him, talking about Sunday school, we know him as King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Son of God, died on the cross, rose again, we celebrate that. But going through a gospel, an entire gospel, can highlight aspects of the life of Jesus, and we can see he is, he's like a prism, you know, like you look at him through so many different angles, and, uh, and he's beautiful. I mean, it's, the gospel is beautiful. And so, We've talked about many things. Jesus is about mission. Jesus is about his church. Jesus is about healing. Jesus is about miracles. Jesus is about losers. Anyway, today we're talking about Jesus is something that we are just totally not when we get down to it. That Jesus is about humility. Now we can, you know, we can go into the false humility, but honestly, we're we're about pride. Um, the original sin uh, was not sex, it was Pride, or adultery, or whatever you want to call it. Um, wanting to put ourselves on the throne, wanting to do it on our own, uh, not humbling ourselves before God. It, it's pride. And all of us have this pride in us. It is, it is the original sin. We, we grapple with it. We struggle with it. It comes out in different ways. And the opposite of pride uh, is humility. We can be prideful about very good things, uh, especially down here. Uh, in the South, I mean, we got we got our Southern pride. Hey, I love Southern pride. We can be prideful about our family. Look how good my family is or my kids are. Um, we can be prideful about our church. Look how great our church is. Look, our church got this property. Look at what our church is doing or going. I mean, we can be very prideful about our deal, whatever our deal is. But I believe... And I hope for you, because if he doesn't, you're in a worse place than you realize. That God convicts us where we are prideful. Uh, a couple of verses, not in Mark, one Isaiah 2:11. I believe we're going to have these up on screen. Isaiah 2:11, the pride of everything, some translations every one shall be humbled, and the Lord alone will be exalted. The pride of everything on earth, the pride of everyone, will be humbled, and the Lord will be exalted. Another one is Proverbs sixteen eighteen. Proverbs sixteen eighteen said, "Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall." That uh, that one's a bit con- more convicting to me. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. Uh, but what is pride? I mean, we can. We kind of like know it and we see it, but like how would we define pride? I mean, what, what is pride? Really, pride is, um, one of the ways I would say it, is exalting ourselves over and above where we should be. So, so putting ourselves, you know, either over someone else or over, you know, our place in life or, or over any, just exalting ourselves much more than we ever should. Uh, it can be an attitude of superiority, uh, an attitude of condescension, uh, you know whether you know you don 't have to say anything but you' all know the type uh, that that you know look down on you that that look down on other people uh, without being explicit about it, but you know and you can sense in their heart they 're very very prideful but we really got to get to it that, that pride is it 's in us all and it can damage relationships severely how so well it 's like this like when you meet someone and you automatically think How can this person help me? How can this person serve me? You know, what's the angle I can use to to get what I want through this person? And then we'll schedule coffee. And then we'll schedule lunch. And then we'll build a relationship. Because ultimately, like, they have something that can benefit us. And maybe it's just a relationship, you know. But it affects those relationships in a very detrimental way. Because we end up, before we realize, we're using people. Pride goes before destruction. Um, Another way I define pride is that someone is just not teachable. Like, they just don't receive anything. Um, I know people like this. uh, Y'all may know folks like this. I mean, it's like, and it's not just me. Like, anything anybody says, that person is not going to receive. Like, that person can't be taught. That person can't receive guidance that person can't receive advice that person always man I got it you ever know anybody like that he's like I got it don't worry about it I'll do it I got it I got it I'm like no I want to help I'm like you're literally like trying to help like I got it um one of my mentors who planted a church says the number one thing that he looks for uh really any pastor but particularly anybody that wants to start a church is do they have a teachable spirit Like, can they sit under someone for a season or for a lifetime and, like, learn under them? Are they teachable? Are we teachable? Are we teachable by Christ, first and foremost? Are we teachable by the gospel, by God's word? That, Like, when we read it and it, like, convicts us, and we're like, you know, I need to really change that part of my life. And we don't just say, well, I'll just, you know, flirt around with it. Like, we really try to, like, the gospel, the Bible speaks to us. We listen to it. Holy Spirit speaks to us through His Word. We abide by the Holy Spirit. We're like underneath, or do we always try to get ourselves on the throne? It's a good question. Anyway, pride, not teachable, pride, superiority, condescension, exalting ourselves. And what is, you know, what is humility? So that's pride, then what is humility? And if Jesus is humble, what what is humility? C.S. Lewis gave a great uh, definition of humility. Uh, he gave, gave great definitions of many things, so I'll throw up C.S. Lewis a lot. But he said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Did you catch that? Humility says, and I love this, he has a way with words, is not thinking less of yourself. It's not like thinking, you know, you're, you're just this horrible, you know, no good, very bad person. It is just thinking of yourself less, like taking yourself out of the equation. Taking yourself, you know, even out of, just not thinking of yourself at all. Thinking of the needs of other people. Thinking of the situation of life of other people. I, I like that definition. Humility is, um, is gentle. You know, think about the most humble person you know, if you know any humble people. I hope you do. You know, the most, the most humble person individual, you know. Um, When I think of that person, they are, uh, they're very gentle. Um, They will own their weakness. Like, instead of saying, like, I got it, they will say, you know, it's my fault. Uh, They will say, you know, it's my bad. You know, I I messed up here. I'm I'm sorry. They will apologize. Um, They will repent. Um, You know, I I stress repentance. I probably don't stress it enough, but many pastors say we should live our lives as Christians in a state of repentance. So I have the altars. You know, I don't, y'all may wonder, why, why altars? I mean, get on your knees, give thanks to God, say, you know, I'm sorry. They're teachable, they're gentle. You know, gentleness before Jesus and before the New Testament, gentleness was like, um, I mean, it was known. But the only people who were gentle were like slaves and, and very, very poor folks. Or just lower status folks. That upper status folks and people with position and privilege, you, you just weren't gentle. It wasn't, it wasn't stressed. Uh, it wasn't looked upon as this, you know, this great character trait. Uh, in the Roman Empire, you know, if you were gentle, you were weak. And instead, you needed to be confident. And strong, gentleness was looked at as weakness. And then Jesus came along, and he preached it, and he lived it. And his disciples and his churches then lived it. And we have a gentle, humble spirit. So pride and humility, they're, they're contrasted. I believe in this passage in Mark 9, we have really three lessons of humility. Three ways that humility can, uh, can shape us. But also, a couple ways about how really it can be a mirror of ourselves, about how we can fall in the traps of pride. And the first one is what Russell read about, and it's the passage of the, um, of the exorcism. And, you know, this is, uh, to me, this so reflects how we roll sometimes in our lives. Because we get a picture of humility, but who's the humble one in this passage? It's not the ones following Jesus. It's the guy, the dad, who first, you know, we th- believe, we think for the first time, bumps into Jesus. And here the disciples are. They hear about this, this son, this kid, who, you know, has the demonic, has the evil spirit in him and being thrown around. And what do the disciples do? You know, they're disciples. They're not Jesus. They don't tell Jesus about it. They don't pray and fast. They are like, we got this, you know. We've we've been in training camp. We've been in the boot camp. We got this. We don't need to tell the master. And, hey, we don't even need to pray or, you know, because, yes, yes, they follow Jesus, but... You know, they really weren't down with the whole crucifixion, resurrection thing yet. They really didn't know what was going on. Before they followed Jesus, they were Jewish folks, so they believed in God. So they were like, man, we don't even need to pray about this. We're we're pretty good. We're pretty stout. We can handle this. We got it. Yeah, right. They didn't. And it was the dad. It was the dad who's the picture of humility here. The dad is is begging Jesus, help me. And he is not following Jesus. I mean, it is like blind faith that he's saying, you know, I I don't fully know you. I haven't been around you much, but I I believe you can can do this. But then he goes even further, and he does something we do. Sometimes we have pride on our faith. and We're all good at religion, and we're all good at churchiness. But this guy's humble about his own faith. He says, I believe Help my unbelief, verse 24. I really believe that that should be our prayer every day. Those of us who, we believe, but let's be honest, Jesus, Lord, help our unbelief. And that's right after Jesus said, all things can be done for the one who believes. And he said, I've got this, you know, I'm taking steps of faith. I'm there, but I'm still struggling. Help me. The dad asks, uh, the dad is, is honest about his weakness, the dad is honest about his failures, so he's got some level of unbelief, and here's the disciples, thinking they got it, and they don't, they hadn't fasted, hadn't prayed, haven't even told Jesus about this deal. How often is that us? I mean, I mean I'll be the first one, it's me all the time. Be like, you know, hey, I got the church thing down. I do my Bible study. Um, I'm trying to grow as a leader in Christ. Uh, God, I got this. I, I can do this. And we don't pray. I mean, we don't spend enough time in prayer. We don't. Fa- I don't fast. I, I need to, but I like to eat. You know. I mean, I think we should eat. But you know, God sometimes has convicted. I fasted a couple of times. Maybe we should fast. We want to hear the Lord more. Maybe we should fast over the next couple months. With this move, as important as it is for our church. And mean, like, God, you know, convict us. Help us. We live in a world similar to Rome in this day and age where we have everything. And we also live in a world where the church is so predominant that we think we know it, that we got it. We got it in Sunday school. And we just, we're all about, man, we'll do it on our own. God is right there. May we call on him. May we repent of when we don't. May we repent of our individualism. May we repent of putting ourselves on the throne. May we repent of trying to heal on you know, just doing everything on our own. That's humility. The dad. And may we say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief every day. Another picture of humility, another lesson of humility is verses 33 through 37. And in this passage, it's different because we got the disciples here and they were arguing. Jesus catches them arguing and they're arguing about who's greatest. There's, they're arguing about who's Jesus number two? Who's, who's the greatest of the twelve? It says, verse 34 they had argued with one another who was the greatest. Verse 35, he sat down, called the twelve, said, whoever wants to be first must be last and servant of all. Then he takes a child and put it among them. So Jesus points to a child. This passage is another deal about pride, and it is something that many of us, especially us dudes, we live for, we love it. It's competition and drive and drive to be the best and to win at all costs, and to succeed, to compete with one another. Man, that fuels us. I know it fuels some of you brothers. It fuels me to compete, to be driven. Disciples are a picture. We want to be, not number one, Jesus number two. Who is the greatest? Jonathan Edwards. uh, He's mostly known for the whole sinners in the hands of an angry God, which I think... Does not reflect well on him. He's one of the greatest minds this country has ever produced, Jonathan Edwards. But he said that um, drivenness and competition are the chief elements of pride. Drivenness and competition, the chief elements of pride. And that that really convicts me and it, it almost like hurts me because um You know, I've been around people, and we live in a world that upholds, you know, having great drive. You know, don't be lazy. You know, be driven. Get it done. And we live in a society that is fueled by competition, you know, capitalistic society. And, hey, that's all good, but at the same time, it produces pride. And we have to battle against that. Um, You know, first off, myself, I'll be, as I have been, very honest Uh, Growing up, uh, loved to compete, loved sports like many of y'all do, and, you know, I was known uh, playing baseball for, I'd throw some bats every now and then, you know, I mean, just still kind of do it sometimes in some softball games, Um, you know, Bull can tell you that, but, you know, get fired up, want to win, and don't like losing, but but don't like failing, because if I'm honest about it, it's really not about the team, it's about me, you know. When you get down to competition and drive, it's really, it's really about us as individuals, and that's prideful. And we'll throw back down, sort of cause the temper tantrums, and you know, it uh and, and we'll use the excuse, man, you know, just have this passion to win. No, we don't. Passion to for us to succeed and us to do a good job. You know, whatever that that looks like. And, you know, we can just. We can fail at humility. And pride, pride is rooted, if you really get down to it, pride can be rooted in the drivenness and in the competition, in the, in the competing. And I'm not saying don't try to win and don't be for a team. Look, I, I love all that. But, you know, here again, the, going to Scripture, I mean, the disciples are arguing. They are, they are competing with one another. And Jesus uses the example of a child. Now, the other thing about pride, again, contrast to humility, pride is, and competition is wanting more. We want to win more. We want uh, more money in a job. We want a greater position. We want a bigger salary. We want a bigger house. We want another house. We want a boat. We want toys, whatever. But what's interesting is, if you really get down to it, we don't want more for ourselves, like just, just to have. We really, let's be honest, we really want more over and above the other person. We really want more than other people. We really want to say, see, I've got this better gig than they do. I am better than him or her. I've got the better job. I make more money than him or her. I make more money than my boss used to, my former boss. We want more people. In a church, so we're saying so we're really kind of better than that church. You catching me? Pride is wanting more. Pride is not wanting to be content, but it's not even for us. It is over and above. It is in contrast. It's competing with other people. We want more so we can have more than someone else. So that we look good. I mean, this is it's, it's base stuff. It's like base sin. It's human depravity. It is real. And Jesus teaches the opposite to be humble. He says, "You know, be humble with what I give you. Can you be content? Can you be at peace? Can you be faithful with what I give you? Can you be faithful with the job I've given you? Can you be faithful with the finances I've given you? Can you be faithful with the people I've given you? Can you be faithful with the children that I've given you, even though they may not be perfect? Can you be faithful to the husband or wife that I've given you? Can you be faithful? Can you be content?" And the root of us cannot. Hence the cross. Hence the resurrection. We can't get there. Jesus did. And we trust in him. That's why, and I say that because this next passage goes down to how to get humble. Like, all this kind of been set up to see the root problem of pride. How do we get humble? We, I mean, you know, three steps or just, you know, I don't know, thinking less of ourselves. No, C.S. Lewis didn't say that. How do we get humble? These couple of verses teach us, verse 30 through 32. It says, They went on from there, Jesus and the disciples passed through Galilee. He did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching the disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. But they did not understand what he was saying, and were afraid to ask him. How do we get humble? Just Just gaze at the cross. Gaze at this cross, gaze at any cross. Because our greatest accomplishment, the greatest thing that you or me or any of us have ever done, pales, pales in comparison to what Jesus did for you and me and us who are unworthy of that act of grace and mercy. Pales in comparison. And we are just like the disciples. We don't get it. The disciples did not understand they continue battling. Like what, what is Jesus saying? What is he doing? What is he saying he's going to do? What, they didn't get it. And I mean, if, if many of us are honest, we don't get the beauty of the gospel. Right? What do you mean by that? Um, some of you may be here and were not raised in church. Uh, I hope so. I mean, I want people who were not raised in church here. Some of us were raised in church all of our life. So for those who were not raised in church, it is really hard to get grace. I mean, it's really hard to get, so, so nothing I do will merit what Jesus has done for me. You know, nothing I'll do, either the mission trip or teaching a small group or, or even like taking communion. No, nothing will, nothing will get it done. You will not humble yourself. And that's like, ah, it's just, I can't, it, you can't reason it. You can't reason grace. But then those of us who, you know, you know really like religious folks, and I put myself in here, because we were raised in church and went to Sunday school and heard all the stories and sometimes can recite all the stories, we don't get it either because we think we know it. And we're living this world of, of effort and trying to get it done and trying to please God and trying to please other people by showing how upstanding of a Christian we are. And it's false. And So we don't get it either. We don't get the beauty of it. The beauty of it Everything that we do, or ever done, or will do, will pale in comparison to what Jesus done. And, and for the love of him, can we rest in that? And then we just like receive. And, and when you, we receive the gospel and, and the beauty of it, and gaze at the cross and realize that it's personal. He died for you, and for me, and for us. And it's always been personal, always will be personal. And we, can, we weep at it. I mean, if if we haven't wept the gospel, I don't know if we've really, truly got it, honestly. That that we don't deserve it, and Jesus lived a perfect life, and certainly didn't deserve to die, but died a perfect death, did not even, you know, did not even resist, you know, gave himself willingly, and rose again, so he won. Therefore, we can be humble and bold. This This is balance, this delicate humility. And boldness. I, like, I call it serene confidence. There's confidence, but it's serene. And, you know, we, we see this sometimes in people. I mean, I mean, I, I, I want to be there. I know you want to be there. How do we get there? We look at the cross. We gaze at it. Thank goodness Easter actually happens year after year. I mean, I know we need to preach on every Sunday, but Easter, we're so focused on the cross and the resurrection. And we really can be intentional. I hope you are gazing at the beauty of what Jesus has done. So. Before we close. I just want to give you some practical thoughts. On like you know how we can grow in humility. Like some things you can do. To, to help. Things we can do. To help us be more. More humble. Okay. First off I would say. Man and I, I preach this. I mean I, I wish everybody could get enough on Sunday mornings. But we can't. Spend regular time with God. Spend regular time in God's Word. Read it, study it, pour over it, reflect on it. Spend regular time with God. And I I guarantee you, I guarantee you, if you spent six months in God's Word, like 20 minutes, 30 minutes, your life will change a day. 20 to 30 minutes in God's Word. Seven days a week. I mean, if you really need a Sabbath, come to church. But, okay, so six days a week, not count Sunday, I believe your life would change. So you can test me on that. Come talk to me in six months. Spend regular time with God. Um, Another thing, serve people who are not like you. That's something that I want to grow into the culture of this church, like serving one another, but serving those who are not like you. Um, It's very easy to do in like mission trips, serving people who have less, um, or it's very easy to do here, like local missions. We'll, you know, go to the poor. We serve people who are different who have less. Um, serve people who are different than you that have more. That's a true sign of humility. Some of you are like, I do it every day. It's called my boss. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, you know, like serving people who like, ha- I mean, that is a true sign of humility. That you could serve someone who has more than you in some capacity. And you could do it willingly. Just saying. Um... Spend time with kids, with children. Jesus highlighted children. Um, Serve in our family ministry. We've given Setup a shout out. Family ministry uh, is a wonderful way to lead, to serve, and to grow. Just like being around kids, being around children. Another thing would be see the good instead of the bad. Um, I know people, and I can be like this, we think of ourselves like, you know, captain discernment. Like, you know, we're so discerning, so we see the evil in that person, or we see the manipulation, or we see the triangular, We can see it. Or like, watch out for, you know. Anybody ever been there? You know folks like that? Or like, so discerning, gifted discernment. That's great, but like, maybe we could be discerning about the good, you know. Like, the glass half full. And see the discernment about the good in, in, in all of us and really encourage that instead of always seeing the critique. And that'd be the last one I'd say that they kind of roll together. Encourage one another. It'd be very easy to be critical. It's very easy to be critical. It's much harder to give a compliment than to give a critique. Um, yeah. Tell you, look, take for today, for example, you could leave here and we could either go, you know, man, spring break, time change, you know, a lot of folks out, Or, you know, beautiful music, God's word, we were together. You got your choice. What are you going to say about today? An individual life. Do we find fault with people or are we encouraging? I mean, what's our starting point in our hearts? Do we give the critique or the compliment? Do we give the compliment when we know there's a critique that we could go to, but we want to be encouraging? Give the compliment. Be encouraging. Ways to be humble. Lastly, um, I want to throw a couple of verses out real quick. We are um, church men and women. We're good at being religious. We're good at you know, trying to do the right thing. And often our goodness, our religiousness, I don't even know if that's a word, is prideful. And instead we need to be brought low. We need to be humble. James uh, 4.10, if we can put that one up here, two verses to leave you with. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Some translations literally say, humble yourselves and be brought low before the Lord, and he will raise you up. I'd love to be a church that's known for, we will will get low, we will be low, and if anybody raises up, it's going to be the Lord. Humble ourselves. And then 1 Peter 5, 5. 1 Peter 5, 5. All of you must clothe yourselves with humility in your dealings with one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I love how Peter uses the, um, uses the metaphor of clothing. Put on the clothes of humility. Some of us, you know, if our lives are messed up, or how messed up your life might be, what are you wearing day to day, week to week? I mean, what are the clothes that you're putting on? Is it pride? Is it superiority? Is it condescension? we are like, no, 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 I'd never do that. Is it drivenness that is just like maybe wrecking your marriage or your family? Is it just like competition? Is it trying to be the best? Maybe you're wearing the wrong clothes. Maybe you should put on the coat of humility. How do you do that? We go to the cross. What Jesus has done, we can never do. What he has done, it's so over and beyond anything we will ever do, ever. And to rest in that and say, you know, man, Jesus did this for me. Certainly I can begin to, like, practice the disciplines of humility. Change my tone. Speak a compliment instead of a critique. Look at things in... A light way instead of a dark way. And be humble. And God will raise you up. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for just the mystery of the gospel that uh, penetrates and convicts and changes our life. May we gaze at it the next few weeks leading up to Easter. May we gaze at all our, all our lives, but, but certainly may we really, maybe this, these couple of weeks, be a time of just transformation as we see what you have done. May it change us. May we be brought low. May we we put ourselves low and you raise us up. May we wear the coat of humility in our dealings and relationships with others. Uh, May you help us in doing that because our nature doesn't want to. So we plead with you to help us, to help us in our unbelief. And we believe that you will give us the strength to go on. In Jesus' name, amen.